Well, welcome to Round the Table with Christian Concern. Um, it's great to see you. And today we're talking about the doctor who saved lives of babies during lockdown and ended up being banned from doing that. Um, this is Dr. Dermot Kearney, um, and uh, we're really hoping that he'll be able to join us today, but I know that he's on call, um, so he may not be able to. Um, but we do have uh, Rita Kaur, um, who is one of the mothers who Dermot helped. Rita, are you there? Can you hear us okay? Can you hear us okay, Rita? Getting some issues with the sound there. Well, it looks things. Um, let's let's um, let's let Rita work out the Sorry, sound. I can't seem to hear. Oh, we can hear you, Rita, now. Um, but she can't hear us. Okay. So, um, well, while she's fixing that, we've got a video of Dermot uh, that we can play. And I'm informed that he'll be here to join us live in a few minutes as well. But let's play the video of Dermot um, talking about what happened to him. Why did I personally get involved in this in the first place? And the basic answer is because the need was there. The women were looking for this service. They could not get it anywhere else, so nobody else was providing the service. So somebody, I felt, had to do it. It's brought a lot of heartache. There were times when I thought, um, I can't continue this, which we just lo I've lost two babies in a row. But then when you get three in a row that are saved, it makes it so much worthwhile, but it is, it's emotionally draining. The GMC wanted us to be suspended completely for 18 months, to but the, the Intramortis Tribunal said, well, that would be a little bit disproportionate. In my case, I wasn't allowed to administer, prescribe or recommend progesterone for abortion pill reversal. I wasn't also allowed to do any, any voluntary work whatsoever without GMC permission. It's important to realise that no complaints came from any of the women or from their families or anybody who was directly involved with, it, with, it, with, the, with the service we were providing. It purely came from the abortion providers who didn't like what we were doing. So they complained to the GMC that what we were doing was unethical, that I was bribing these women to... I was trying to enforce my religious beliefs, my, my pro-life beliefs on, on them, which, again, there was no evidence for that. And so we knew that the strongest defence we were going to have was, was going to be from the women who had the experience of, of what, I, what I and Dr Riley had been providing to them. Expectant management is the worst thing you can do because there's really three options. If a woman changes her mind after having taken the first pill, she can either uh, not take the second pill and wait and see what happens, expectant management, or she can do what the abortion providers tell her, well, take the second pill, because even though it might be against her consent to do so, but they're forcing her to do it because they say, you must do this, even though she's withdrawn her consent by, by not wanting to do so. Or she could get progesterone. And the, it seems that from the evidence the, that's available that the worst thing you could advise people or women is to do nothing, is to expect a management. So those three options, the worst one is what the RCOG are currently recommending, that don't take the second pill. The best option, in our opinion, is to get progesterone because it will not only greatly increase the risk of the baby surviving but will also reduce the risk of significant hemorrhage.
32 babies have been born. Um, I had um, 20 babies, so 20 of my women have had healthy, happy babies. Um, 12 of Eileen, so 32 in total, which an overall success rate of about 50 and 55%, which is still not as good as we'd like, but better than the alternative of, of doing nothing. We've been involved, I've been a cardiologist and general physician for, well, for many years. I've been working in the UK for 19 years in the NHS. But far and away, this is the most rewarding thing that either of us have ever done. It's brought a lot of joy to us and to mothers and their partners, the fathers of the babies, and to their extended families. You fall in love. You fall in love with the women who contact you and come looking for help, even though I've never met any of them. I've met two of them well after their, their babies were born. But I, but I was unaware of the, the depth of gratitude. It was only when I later read the witness statements that they that were obtained by the legal team at CLC that um, I, I was in tears reading some of the, the testimonies that these girls gave. Because I, I didn't, while I knew they were appreciative, I just didn't realise the, the enormity of it until then. Wow, it's a great story. Now, um, I gather we've got Dermot himself um, in the studio, um, so to speak, and also uh, Rita, um, one of the mothers featured on that video as well, um, with us, here she is. Um, Dermot, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're at work, you're on call, um, but um, what a hero you are, okay? Saving those various babies. We're so, we're so um, proud of you, really, and grateful for what you've done. Um, and um, how do you feel about the, the recent um, decision from the GMC? Uh, can you hear me okay, Jim? Yeah, we can, yeah. Yeah, obviously very pleased, pleased with the, the, the outcome and relieved um, because we, in a way it came as a little bit of a surprise that it came so soon because uh, we'd had a recent review of the IoT uh, of the conditions and the conditions were uh, reimposed or, or kept in place. And that was only in January. So then to suddenly um, have them out of the blue almost um, revoked was, was was a nice surprise and a relief at that time. Um, although having said that, um, I think that the threat of the of the high court action because we had pursued a high court um, mm. strategy, um, mm. offering to take the GMC to the court um, to, to for the for the court the high court to review the conditions and the, the way in which they were imposed. And um, we had set our um, stall in motion, I suppose, around uh, late September, October. So the GMC are aware of that. And I suspect once it came through to us that the High Court agreed to have a hearing in so soon in February, I, I didn't think, I thought it would be at least 12 months before they agreed. So it was great that they made that offer to, to hear our case so early in February. I think that's what made the GMC probably... Um, suddenly get their act together and get the whatever witness statements they needed to to look at mm. uh, so mm. that they could then mm. their, their final decision yeah so and they initially wanted to like, strike you off like suspend you from treatment altogether did they do that yeah so myself and, and both uh, myself and dr riley eileen riley even though we'd, we'd more or less been guilty of the same crime um, they, the GMC pushed for complete suspension. That means we couldn't do any medical work. We, our, our license to practice would be removed for, for 18 months wow. um, pending investigation. The IOT 
in fairness to them, felt that that was disproportionate. What's and, the IOT? Uh, because the IOT was the interim orders tribunal. So they, the, the GMC referred the case to this tribunal, which is part of the Medical Practitioners Tribunal Service. The initial IOT hearing in on the 12th of May last year, uh, the, the, both sides presented their cases. The written papers had already been presented from both sides. Um, and the IOT only looked really at the allegations. They didn't look at any of the evidence that we had presented at that stage. Um, but they felt that a complete suspension was would have been too extreme, disproportionate, because both Dr. Riley and myself had unblemished records in our in our normal NHS capacity. So they felt to stop us from working as doctors, particularly at a, at a time of crisis for the country when we're bringing back doctors out of retirement and pleading with people to 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 continue working who were thinking of retiring mm. because of such a shortage of doctors, especially experienced doctors like, like ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the IoT said, well. Yes, we need to investigate, or this needs to be investigated. So we'll impose conditions, basically, to stop us from from providing the service until whatever investigations that they felt were necessary could be carried out. Wow. So, and what what was their, what was their rationale? You know, why did they think you'd done such a wrong thing in uh, in actually helping these women who requested taking an abortion pill? Well, in, in my own case, there were ten. 10 allegations brought against me. I won't go into all 10 of them, but basically the, the complaints um, came from abortion providers. They didn't, it's very, very important that the public and everybody realised that no complaints whatsoever came, on, came from any of the women that we had treated. None yeah. of the complaints came from any of their families. That's very important. The only complaints, without any evidence to back the complaints, and that's, that's what turned out, that was the final outcome. Uh, the, the GMC finally realised there was no evidence to support any of the allegations, but the complaints came from, in my case, from Mary Stubbs, uh, International uh, MSI, right. and from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and from right. that uh, abortion advocacy group, um, Open Democracy, right. uh, because they didn't like they didn't like what we were doing. They put forward cases that uh, that this what we were doing was potentially dangerous, that it was unlicensed, that there was no backing from any reputable medical authorities, um, that the in my case, that I was acting outside of my speciality, uh, was at least Eileen Riley is a gynecologist, whereas I'm a cardiologist and general physician, but with a special interest in, in this area, which I developed over the previous five years or more. Mm -hmm. um, also, the, the, probably the, the most humorous allegation was that I didn't follow the, the nice guidelines on abortion care provision. Um, you know, I wasn't providing abortion to anyone, and there are no guidelines from anyone on, apart from the protocols that we have developed and the American uh, colleagues have developed on abortion pill reversal. There are no guidelines in this country on abortion pill reversal. So it is a, a new area. Um, it was understandable that um, that we had questions to to ask, and, and that was what we wanted. And very often I discussed this with Eileen and with our colleagues in Ireland also who were doing this too. I thought, you know, at some stage somebody is going to ask us to explain what's going on here. And we were we would have welcomed that type of investigation to give us an opportunity to describe mm. exactly in detail mm. and with the examples of, of the cases that we were involved with and that we were following. So we would have welcomed um, an investigation in that sense, at least an inquisitive investigation, rather than a, um, a penal investigation that, that was set upon us. Because basically it stopped us providing the service to, to, to the women who, who still desperately needed it. The, the need for this service hasn't gone away and it, and it won't go away. And even if they hadn't lifted the restrictions against me, there was still always going to be dozens of women every month uh, requesting this service and as word gets out and people become more aware of it 
I suspect mm. that those numbers will regret their decision after they've taken the first abortion pill. I suspect the numbers will, will grow and grow. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, if you're if you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, um, do post your comments and questions for demo. Um, and um, and we'll see if we can get them there. We we're getting comments in here saying Stella Sauna says thank you for the precious babies you've saved and and um, many many mothers as well I've met some of the mothers and we're still hoping Rita can join back on today um, will express how grateful they are um, for what you've done Dermot so so um, just explain so the treatment that you're administering or you were offering to these mothers is progesterone hormone treatment just explain to us why that is and how that works most people will have heard of progesterone I imagine but progesterone is a natural hormone and it's essential yeah. to maintain pregnancy. It's, it plays a vital role in the development of the, uh, the, the lining of the womb and the development of the placenta uh, and to maintain pregnancy right throughout pregnancy. Um, the, most people probably now realise that, that in these days, uh, over the last five, six, seven years, the vast majority of, of abortions in this country are carried out by medical means, they're not surgical abortions. Still a large number, uh, many thousand are performed by surgical means, but 85% plus uh, in the United Kingdom are performed by medical means. That was the latest figures we have is for 2020. And each year it's, the numbers have been growing steadily since medical abortions first were allowed in this country in 1990. The United States, they weren't allowed until 2000. And year by year, they've been growing steadily, the, 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 the percentage and the proportion. Um, medical abortion consists of taking two drugs. The first drug is called mifepristone and that uh, I mentioned progesterone is essential to maintain pregnancy. Progesterone is a hormone that acts by binding to receptors within the female reproductive tract. Um, mifepristone is a progesterone receptor blocker, a progesterone receptor antagonist. So it competes directly with the progesterone molecules to prevent progesterone having its effect. So it basically blocks off the effect of progesterone. It's the equivalent as if a woman wasn't producing any progesterone or, or insufficient degrees of progesterone. So that's, that's, the, how the first, yeah. that's how the first year yeah. yeah. so uh, suppresses the progesterone. And that results yeah. in um, a process called deciduous necrosis. The decidua is the developing endometrium, the inner lining of the womb, the, the early developing placenta. So it prevents normal development of, of these essential organs uh, to maintain the pregnancy. And it causes the placenta or the developing placenta, depending on the stage of pregnancy, uh, to separate from the from the lining of the womb and to start to get shed, exactly the same as what happens in a in in a, in a period, a menstrual period, and so to some extent the abortion providers they're they're not exactly telling a lie when they say the medical abortion. Oh, it's just like having a a period. In a way, it is, but it's usually a much heavier period, and obviously with lethal consequences for a living human being. The second drug, so the mifepristone is taken on day one, a single tablet. The second drug is taken one or two days later as instructed by the abortion providers. It's called misoprostol, and it's a prostaglandin. It causes contraction of the womb and expulsion of the developing embryo or fetus or child, mm -hmm. and also the expulsion of the other products of conception, the placenta or the remnants of the placenta. And it causes a you know, heavy bleeding and lots of pain and cramps for the, for the mother at that stage. Mm. Um, also, I should point out that the mifepristone, the first drug, as well as having its primary effect on blocking progesterone, it also will soften the cervix and prepare the way for the second drug to, to have its effect as well. So the treatment that we were given was progesterone because the, the, the rationale 
and there's a good scientific uh, basis to it and there are animal studies to back it up and now obviously lots of uh, evidence from the, the human race yeah. that if yeah. if mifepristone is given and that's the one that blocks the action of progesterone if if in time promptly you can give progesterone in high doses you might be able to block the effect of the mifepristone or at least compete um, level up the playing field so that you've got a better chance of progesterone binding to those receptors before the mm. mifepristone gets in there. Mm. Uh, so mifepristone blocks progesterone. Progesterone, in theory, could block mifepristone. And we know that that happens in, in practice. It doesn't always happen, unfortunately. So there isn't any guarantee uh, that if, if a woman has taken the first abortion pill, she re regrets it, and then she seeks progesterone, there isn't any guarantee that her baby will be saved. So obviously it's better. Prevention is better than cure. So. <laughs> Uh, we still should encourage uh, mothers not to take uh, mifepristone in the first place, but it gives them a chance. The way I explain to all of the mothers, and the, the, the best evidence we have, is that if, if, a, if a mother takes both abortion pills, so she takes mifepristone, and as directed, she takes a second abortion pill one or two days later, misoprostol, there is a 98 to 99% chance that her baby will die, that uh, the pregnancy will not continue. Right. That doesn't mean that it, yeah. uh, it completely... Um, the products will all be removed uh, or expelled uh, because we know that even when the baby is dead, six or seven percent of the abortions are incomplete and the mother might have to still have to go and have a, um, a, a follow-up surgical abortion to remove the, the, the products that are still there or else there's a high risk of ongoing pain, infection, heavy bleeding. Yeah. But 98 to 99 percent chance if both abortion pills are taken. Yeah. If the mother, if the mother takes the first abortion pill, mifepristone, but doesn't decides I don't want to complete this abortion, I want my baby to be saved, uh, and she doesn't take the second abortion pill as directed, but if she doesn't get progesterone, there is about a twenty to twenty-five percent chance that the baby might survive. Depends on a number of factors. Depends on the stage of pregnancy. Depends on the age of the mother. Depends on probably socioeconomic factors. Depends on the health of the mother, the obstetric history of the mother. So there's lots of variable factors that. Know, will might determine on what the outcome might be. But mm -hmm. overall, if she takes the first mm -hmm. pill, but not the second one, but doesn't receive progesterone, the chance that the baby surviving is about 20 to 25% chance. So that's a 75 to 80% chance that the baby will die, even yeah. after the first pill. Yeah. If, if, as we would advise, she can um, get progesterone, so not take the second abortion pill, she's already taken the first one, but doesn't take the second one, but gets progesterone, ideally within a matter of hours, uh, certainly within 24 hours, but even up to 72 hours, there's evidence that it can still be beneficial, even up to 72 hours. But she gets progesterone and continues progesterone, just to continue it for several weeks. And that's very important. It's not just a, a once-off dose, unfortunately. Uh, but there is a we can improve the survival rate. In, in the UK, up to about 55%, 50 to 55%. The American studies suggest it's, they, their success rates are better than that, 65 to 70%. In their studies. It's, you must keep in mind, however, that there's a much greater awareness of this service in the US. Um, some states, in fact, have it mandatory that if a woman is offered um, medical abortion pills, she must be informed that there is a reversal treatment using progesterone for this. So that some states have that in, wow. um, legal wow. requirement. We, we'd like that to be the case over here too. But also there's a much greater awareness as there's eight or 900 doctors throughout all of the United States, throughout 50, all 50 states, we're providing this abortion pill reversal service. So there's a much greater awareness and women on average will get their progesterone treatment within six hours of taking the first abortion pill. Uh, Eileen and myself, our average time was 24 to 25 hours. 
Uh, so that puts us yeah. immediately at a disadvantage. But despite that, we still had a 50 to 55% success rate. Yeah. Um, the reason I don't know exactly, what, we can't say exactly what success rate is. It depends on how stringently you, you regard your success. If, you're, if your only success criteria is a live, healthy baby at the end, then it's 50%. If you accept that some miscarriages are going to happen naturally, um, yeah. anyway, 10 to 50% of early pregnancies will result in miscarriage. And some of the babies or some of the mothers that we treated, actually did, they seemed to do very well initially with the, with the treatment that the progesterone we gave seemed to save the baby, seemed to undo the effect of the mifepristone because their initial scan was fine. And a few weeks later, everything was going fine. And then five, six weeks later, they lost the baby. So it's difficult to know, were they because of, were they lost because of the mifepristone? Was it because um, it was some other prop that had nothing to do with mifepristone or progesterone? So we're not exactly sure what our successor is, but 50 to 55 percent is. I see. If, if, yeah. you, if, you, if, you, if you took every case that survived beyond 28 days, mm. then our success rate was uh, almost 60 percent. But uh, that would be a bit. 32, 32 healthy babies to show for it, which is remarkable. Yeah. 50 55 percent with 32 healthy babies. Yeah, amazing. So I gather Rita is now back on the line, um, which is great. And she is one of the mothers of one of these babies, Rita. Um, you're muted by the looks of my screen now. Um, and Sorry, uh, yeah, we can hear you great. So, tell us what happened, um, for you in your experience when you um, went for an abortion pill. Um, so my experience was, um, I fell pregnant and it wasn't planned. Um, so then it was panic, and I think that would be the case for most um, parents that don't plan this type of thing. Um, mm. so yeah, so I panicked thought about okay, what are my options and obviously abortion is one of the options um so i went down that route got went straight to be pass um expected them to be able to answer a lot of my questions um and give me as much information as possible and as much as i wanted um that was this is all over the phone yeah this was always phone because this is towards the end of lock well, yeah. not lockdown but the covid um yeah. period um so yeah it was all over the phone and i had the first initial call and then I booked an appointment to ask them questions, um, get them answered. Unfortunately, that was That's another case. phone appointment. Yeah. Yeah. Another phone appointment. Um, yeah. And that, that wasn't the case. None of my questions were actually answered. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, what kind I, of questions did you have then? Um, a lot of them were moral, moral questions. Right. Um, of, cause I've never had to think, oh, okay, well, do I believe in abortions or not? Um, yeah. So when it did come up, I had to, that's when I had to think and I had to think, okay, well, is it morally, it's fine. I don't see a problem if someone came up to me and said, okay, I want an abortion. I wouldn't sit there and say, oh, that's, that's horrible. Um, mm -hmm. I'll sit there and advise them and that's their choice. And if I can help as much as possible, but in my case, it was, is it okay for me? Um, yeah. Would I be able to live with it after? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was basically moral questions. It was, Okay, well, when does a baby become a baby? Um, all these right. questions that I thought BPASH would should be ready to answer, um, right. if questioned, and that wasn't the case. It was simple as, do you want an abortion or not? And I was like, in the moment, I was like, okay, yes, um, yeah. because I didn't think I I wasn't sure, um, yeah. and I was panicked. Yeah. So then they posted you the tablet. Yeah. So they posted me a tablet. Uh, I believe about three days later. Right. Um, and because my baby's dad, he wanted a baby. Um, 
so it's bit and obviously I wanted her as well to a certain extent but I was like oh what with the amount of hormones going through my body I was like oh what do I want mm. um so I waited another another week um just thinking okay is this what I want or is this not what I want mm-hmm. asking people that have that I know have had abortions in the past okay do they regret it this mm-hmm. is this um and a lot of them do a lot of them do say even nine years down the line and say okay well I think my child could be nine at this point so I was like okay well right. yes I, I can't go through regret so I end yeah I waited a week to and then I panicked um thinking about finances and within that one moment I just took the pill and regretted right. it straight after right so then what do you do then um so then I cried a lot first yes. um yeah. Then, um, then I thought in, in my head, I was, I didn't think there was anything that I could do to go back. I didn't actually, I had zero information of what the first bill did. Um, mm. even though that was one of the questions I, I asked, um, at, asked to be passed. And, um, so I had no idea. So in my mind, I was like, that's it. It's done. I'm having an abortion. Um, then I, I, I was like, I just said, oh, in a year's time, I'll be ready for a baby and stuff. And it's like, oh, why am I giving up this child for? A year's time um right. just to have another one it doesn't make sense to me um then i just googled i well first i called be pass i believe um i called them and i said okay i regret my decision what do i do now um yeah. and they just said the first pill a lot of women do regret it after the first pill um well they, they said just, that did they? it's quite interesting well wow. that's what i was quite shocked at because i was like well surely should be handing out so easily yeah um, yeah and so she just said if you don't if you don't feel like you're having an abortion, then you're not. It's fine. Just don't have a second one. Um, and in my mind, I still panicked because I, I thought, okay, well, I don't want anything to damage my child either. Um, so I then Googled for abortion. Well, I I think I Googled something. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but it was something along the line, what do I do if I take the first abortion pill? Then right. I heard of um, the abortion, abortion reversal pill. Um, and then I Googled that because um, I know it's available in the US didn't realise it was available in the UK and then I come across Dermot um, I mess- I believe I was on the phone to I believe it might be Dermot's sister I'm not 100% sure um, and then yeah we had the conversation and in all honesty it's a bit of a blur because I was full of hormones panic and it was just adrenaline um, and then Dermot said okay you can pick up from this pharmacy um, he even offered to help me financially pay for it and to pick up a prescription and I said, oh, no, that's, that's fine. Um, and then I went the next the next morning, because I believe that was quite late. Um, the next morning, I started bleeding a bit. So I was like, I don't know if I was supposed to be on live. Um, but then I ran to the pharmacy, got the pill, um, and then took it. Um, and that was my experience. And I never looked back afterwards. I never thought. I, was, I If anything, I've been so grateful. And that's um, the progesterone pill that um, Dr. Dermot prescribed. Um, yeah. for you and I think we've got some pictures of your um, baby um, that we can share as well yeah. um, fantastic now four months old I think um, yeah. isn't she yeah what a beautiful what a beautiful little baby um, there we are and if it wasn't for Dermot and those pills that you were able to get from the pharmacy um, yeah the little baby wouldn't be there wouldn't be here no um, I honestly I don't I don't know what I would have what I would have done if she wasn't here um I think Dermot saved her life and mine, in all honesty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for 
sharing your story. We're saying we've got somebody here saying that brought tears to my, tears to my eyes. Um, also, um, someone um, on Facebook saying about the regret. So true. I regret doing it even three decades later. Um, and uh, there is a lot of people who have this regret and carry it around um, with them. Um, and but you, but very few of them are brave enough to actually share that and talk about it. So um, thank you so much for doing that, um, Rita. And Dermot, it must be so rewarding for you to see these babies and um, know that you've played a significant part in uh, saving their lives there. You're muted just now. Sorry, I there disappeared for a second. Um, it is actually, um, I've been, I qualified in 1989, so I've been more than 32, 31, 32 years in this business of practicing medicine. And both myself and Eileen, and she's been qualified, not quite as long, but almost. Uh, we've talked about this many times among ourselves, and we both agree that this, this little ex adventure, this experience, uh, mm -hmm. helping women in, the, in this situation, is far and away the most, the most rewarding thing that we've ever done in our medical careers. Uh, the depth of gratitude. Again, I, I wasn't aware of it. I, I'm, delighted, I'm, I'm delighted to meet Amrita again. I've met her a couple of times before now. Um, most of the mothers I've never met. And I, I, did, I knew that they were grateful because I kept in contact with Amrita and all of the other the ladies that I helped uh, for as long as necessary after, after each, during each case and even after the babies were born. And I gave, I gave them a telephone number and contacted as if there was any problems at any time whatsoever, day or night, that they were free to, to contact me. Um, but I, I didn't realize the full depth of, of um, gratitude until I read some of the witness statements that mm. uh, the legal center had obtained for me. Because when, when we were taken, but when the IOT sort of put this restrictions on us and we knew that we were going to have to, to fight uh, for our rights here. Um, one of the things we got our, our expert witness, I, I wrote my witness statement, our expert witness or his witness statement, but we knew it was going to be essential to get some sort of witness statements from the, the people most involved in this, and that was the mothers themselves. So we got, I think, 10 in total witness statements. And I didn't, I didn't know the depth of gratitude until I read some of the statements, because I wasn't involved in yeah. obtaining answers. It was all done through the Christian legal people. Yeah. And, and then eventually I was allowed to see what, what had been said when we were about to present them at the tribunal hearing. We've got uh, a question was, here for you, John Sharp on YouTube. And he says, did you feel you were doing something that would be opposed by the authorities? Um, and how did it feel to be doing that? Yeah, we didn't. I didn't think it would be opposed by the authorities because before we started this, um, I, I'm a member of the Catholic Medical Association and we had decided we wanted to help because we had we had received calls from Good Counsel Network and from Life, the pro-life organizations to inform us that more and more women were coming to them seeking help, regretting the decision after taking the first abortion pill. And uh, they made us aware of the abortion pill reversal process, actually. So we, and that's why I started researching it. So we, before we even began the uh, the service, we had written to the Royal College of Obstetricians. We had written to the Royal College of General Practitioners. We wrote to NHS England. We eventually wrote to the GMC. Uh, that the three first bodies, that the, the education bodies, and they wouldn't support us. They said, "Oh, we were not prepared to." Uh, support the use of an unlicensed medication. Now, what they didn't, inf what they didn't, what they failed to add was that uh, misoprostol, the tablet I mentioned, which is the second abortion pill, that is not licensed for abortion. It's licensed for management of peptic ulcer disease or the prostate lambda, but it's not licensed for abortion use. 
and I pointed that out to them, and we, we received no response to that. Uh, NHS England said, <laughs> "Oh, actually, and simply from the stand, because I'm aware of this, but people might not be. Um, the use of medications off license, so to speak, is quite common, isn't it? A lot of medication it's is. Common. It happens in all all areas of medicine because a, a medication is, let's say, initially introduced for some specific indication, and then yeah. maybe a few years later, it's discovered, oh, it's actually useful in this indication." Uh, yeah. So it's used in, in an off license. So it's not it's not being used for the initial license, but it is a licensed medication, but just been used in a in a new way. As long as it's found to be safe and effective. And progesterone, there was well over ten years of experience of progesterone mm. in this mm. situation mm. of abortion pill reversal coming from the US. So we knew by that stage, and I'd looked into it for several years before we got involved. But then eventually we wrote to the GMC and we asked them a very I think it was a very important question, and uh, that if if a woman who's pregnant, uh, takes the first abortion pill, regrets it, and comes to a doctor seeking help to save her baby, what should a doctor do? So that was a very reasonable question. And the GMC at the time, this is 2019, said, well, we're not able, it's beyond our remit to comment on specific clinical scenarios. However, we would point out from their, their guidance that they published that every patient, regardless of situation, every patient is entitled to know what treatment options are available to them at all stages of their treatment process. They're also entitled to withdraw their consent from any treatment or management strategy and to seek alternative forms of treatment. So that while they didn't specifically say, oh yeah, this is a great idea, they didn't say there was anything wrong with it. And they, by, by those words, we took it that this was, um, at least- Okay, right. Yeah, they were, they were saying that there was nothing wrong with doing this. So we then wrote back to all of the, the original bodies, the, the, the Royal Colleges, the NHS England, quoting word for word exactly what the GMC had said, this was 2019. Yeah. And we said, we presume at this stage you will have no objections to us uh, bringing this to the, the attention of the public to publicize it. Then we started work on it from 29, late 2019 on. And we didn't start service until 2020. Um, and we got no response. Nobody said, oh, that's terrible, you can't do that. Or no, we object strongly to this. We gave them the opportunity and no opportunities. Uh, nobody took the opportunity to discuss it with us. And that's, we wanted it to be discussed because we wanted this to become part of mainstream NHS care. Uh, we felt that women were calling for the service. It wasn't available because nobody else would provide it. We felt we have to provide it. And the GMC had informed us that you know, people are entitled, all patients are entitled to know what uh, reasonable treatment options are available to them. So I didn't expect that I was going to be uh, hauled in before the by the GMC. I thought that they had more or less uh, decided there was right. no case. So you on. thought you were yeah. doing something that the GMC is basically tacitly approved of? Yeah, of course, yeah. And yeah. even further, so even when they, to take it even further in relation to the GMC, um, I, I was, the GMC have set up uh, in, in recent years a body called their e Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Forum. Mm -hmm. This was mm -hmm. to show that there, there's no racism or any discrimination against minority yeah. groups within, within the yeah. GMC circle. Mm. And I, I, as president at the time of the Catholic Medical Association, was invited to attend those meetings, as were lots of other minority and ethnic minority and religion, faith-based groups of doctors. Mm. And at each meeting, we had to give a little report on what our organisations had been doing. And right. in April 2021, so exactly three weeks before the allegations were made known to us, or just more than three weeks, uh, I gave a report on the Catholic Medical Association members involved in providing the service to women who had regretted taking the mifepristone and we were offering this progesterone treatment. And at that stage, I told them how many women we had treated, how many babies had been born. Um, and the chairperson said, oh, thank you very much, Dr. Carney, very good. Uh, we move on to the next one. 
So, so it wasn't as if the team weren't made aware of this either beforehand or while it was being done. And suddenly, three weeks later, uh, Eileen and myself received these emails to say that serious allegations had been brought against us because of our role in providing this service. So that came as so a shock. You were shock. totally shocked and surprised when those letters came through, basically. Yeah. I, I, thought, I thought the Royal College of Obstetricians would, would, would ask us to explain ourselves because I felt this is sort of their area they're going to be interested. I thought maybe the abortion providers might approach us and say, what are you doing here? You're interfering with our business, but they didn't. They just went behind our backs and they went straight to the GMT and not making us aware. I, I did. I found out later that I was being investigated from January 2021 until uh, late April 2021, when and so lots of emails and letters were going on, you know, without us being aware of them, uh, building, trying to build a case against us. But of course, there was no evidence. So all they had was hearsay, mm. uh, attempt to fabricate evidence, attempt to manipulate witnesses. And mm. to turn people against us or pe people that we had helped, uh, but that didn't work. And all of the women um, that had any consultations with myself have been very supportive uh, of me. So, what's the status of this now? Now you're totally free to offer progesterone to women who regret taking that first pill. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm licensed to practice medicine. The GMC has investigated, and their expert, their expert witness, and our expert witness. Both agree that the treatment itself um, is not a problem, and it's it's reasonable for a non-gynecologist, a non-cardio, non-obstetrician to offer this service to women as long as they, he or she has got the necessary experience and and, and knowledge to, to do so safely, um, and is pre pre prepared to keep good records of what they're doing and to uh, report any adverse effects that, that that might develop. So we're very happy to, which is what we wanted to do all along. So yes, we're we're hoping to re-establish the service very soon. There will be a few. We, we want to add in a few, I suppose, robust protections to make sure that nobody else can attack us from from any other quarters to, uh, sure. um, to yeah. try and close us down again. In, in a way, in, in a way, this this whole episode, while it's it's been very sad because we know that uh, since the in the nine month period that the the first nine month period that the service was shut down, we know that 160 women have approached the Heartbeat International. That's the, the helpline that I think Amrita probably um, approached. Uh, seeking help and they had to be told these are women in the UK and they had to be told I'm sorry but there's no help available at this time so that's what well, we know that all of those women probably wouldn't have gone ahead with the treatment because of the 140 or so that I cancelled not not all of them and uh, mm. decided to go ahead with treatment but a large number of them would have done and a lot of those babies would have been saved that otherwise had been lost so probably somewhere between 30 and 50 babies have died that probably would have been saved if we had been allowed to continue that. That's quite a thought, isn't it? 30 to 50 babies would have been saved. In, in, in that eight, nine month period. So not for the GMC interfering. Rita, what's what's your thought on how Denmark's been treated? Um, and um, go on. You're muted sure. at the moment. You're muted. I think it's slightly ridiculous um, just because like Dana said, the amount of babies that could have been saved. Um, I, I think that's that sad in itself of knowing that, well, this is how many could have been saved and they weren't saved yeah. due to yeah. someone not doing the research beforehand, um, yeah. at least. But um, I'm, I'm really happy that Dermot's able to do it and other people are able to provide this tablet. Um, I think it's incredible now that there's something that people can take after mm. making a I would say a slight mistake. Um, so I think it's ended well. Um, but I think the whole case of Dermot and 
like trying to stop the pill I think I think me personally I think it's ridiculous I think people should have if people have a choice to have an abortion or not have an abortion they should have a choice to also mm. reverse that as well mm. so you'd recommend it to people women who regret taking the pill like you did oh definitely yeah I think absolutely um if if like I said if dermot wasn't there if the pill wasn't there then I don't know how my life would have been right now um mm. if anything it's something that I don't want to think about um so I'm so grateful mm. to dermot um mm. definitely considering it was just like the way I see it is I think I was looking at the dates of um when dermot couldn't could dermot had stopped taking like giving out the pill and mm. I believe it was only like a few months after um mm. I took mine and yeah. the thought is my thought straight away was oh if if I was in that time when when Dermot can provide them, yeah, it would. I don't know. <laughs> it's something yeah. I don't want to think about. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you both so much for joining us and taking the time and persevering with various technical difficulties here and there, as well. And uh, and thank you, Rita, for being so brave and outspoken with your story. And thank you, Dermot. And we really look forward to this service becoming more available and uh, more publicly known about as well, and to hearing and seeing many more babies born as a result. What a fantastic ministry um, and service you're providing there. Amazing work, uh, a superhero of ours at Chris Concern here. Um, we love what you're doing. And thank you for watching and listening and look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you everyone. Thank you.